seems fitting in a comedy club for me to have this type of microphone and not <laughs> feel like I pay respect to the place. Um, so I was thinking about um, the baptism that took place yesterday with with both girls and looking also looking at the pictures and it reminded me of my own baptism uh, which was a while ago I was about 11 or 12 when that happened and I I went through this baptismal class where we talk about uh, the basic beliefs that we have in who God is, who Jesus is, uh, what he did for us, who we are in him. And that class uh, took several weeks. And I remember during that whole process that uh, I had this anticipation of the moment where I will actually be baptized and I will reach that moment where I'll go into the water. And I remember when that day came that it was me and a whole bunch of other people. It must have been around 10 people. And I was one of the last ones. It was in this very traditional church. It was, it was like very long. And we, they had the baptismal place right behind the pulpit. And I remember th uh, during that moment where I was waiting to be baptized, I was going through all the things that I learned during the baptismal class. So I had all of these ideas uh, swirling about in my head about that moment and what that moment means. And I was one of the last ones to be baptized, so I could see the, other, the others uh, go into the water and then they are baptized and I could see their faces as they would come as they would come out of the water and I remember that out of all those ideas that were swirling about in my head there was one that uh, came upon me and really stuck as I was looking at their faces and I felt that I needed to share it with someone at that moment so I wasn't the last one to be baptized, so there was one other guy uh, behind me. So I looked to him and I said, man, look, look at their faces as they're coming out of the water. And the idea that I, as a 12-year-old, could have in my head, and I, and I said, the water must be really cold because, I mean, they're, they're happy, but... They're really trying to not freak out over the fact that the water is really cold. And you can't really prepare for it. You just have to go in the water. And, and so this whole uh, theme of baptism made me think about one passage that is, that's really common. Uh, it's known. And I heard a philosopher say once that familiarity breeds unfamiliarity where sometimes we, are, we think we know so much about something that sometimes we end up not knowing about that. So I want to go to that passage, and it's Matthew 28 from verses 16 to 20. 
Uh, and the passage is commonly known as the Great Commission. And it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for this moment. I thank you because you work in our lives, you change our lives. You moves us from a, a situation of sin and death and you leads us to a situation of uh, life and joy. So I would like to ask you to speak to us as we go through this passage that you may, you may fill our hearts with your word and what it means to be, to be baptized and to be a disciple of you, a servant of you, a son and a daughter of you. That's what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the passage, in order to understand it, we have to look at its context. So on chapter 28, uh, it's right after the Sabbath, and Mary Magdalene and another Mary went to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And when they get there, they, this is like this big earthquake. And an angel comes down from heaven. He rolls away the stone and he sits on it. And there you have three groups of characters. You have the angel, you have the soldiers who are there, and you also have the woman. And this, as the angel appears and he sits on the stone, the soldiers are filled with fear. And the text says that it, they look like they were dead men in their reaction to what they had seen. Now the woman, they also had fear. And the angel tells him, do not fear because Look here inside. You're looking for the Jesus who you think is buried, but he's actually risen. And then he says, go look and see that he's not here. Then go to the disciples and tell them to go to Galilee because Jesus is going to meet them there. So the woman go to the disciples. And then the story stops for a little moment to go back to the soldiers and what happened to them. So the soldiers, they decide to go to the chief priests in the city to tell them what happened. And this is a very interesting scene because when they tell the, the chief priests what happened, uh, the chief priests, they have this meeting. And after they finish, they tell the soldiers, here, here's a bag full of money. Tell the people that the followers of Jesus came during the night and took away his body. 
and, this, and the story tells us that the soldiers did just that. They took the money and that's what they did. And Matthew, in telling the story, he says, he's telling a little bit from the future, like after that situation happened, he's thinking about it, and says, even to this day, this story still goes around among the Jews. And I find it very interesting that the soldiers would see a, something like an angel coming down from heaven, and the description was that the angel looked like lightning, And the stone is rolled away and the angel sits on the stone and the soldiers are able to just completely ignore the message and tell a complete lie. Which is something that you often hear, especially among um, non-believers who are very skeptical and sometimes aggressive towards Christianity. They say, ah, it's... It's difficult for me to believe. I will have to see something to be able to believe it. And the soldiers, they actually see, and still they don't believe it. But the women do, and on their way to Galilee, they meet Jesus and they worship him. They, they have that double feeling of fear and joy. And Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. Go and tell the disciples to go to Galilee and I will meet with them there. And that's where, where we get to our passage, in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, or some translations would have, some hesitated. Which is something that is somewhat normal in some of the stories that you read after Jesus is resurrected, that people spend time with him and they don't even realize that it's him. So this seems to be what's going on. So Jesus comes to them and he says something which is going to be the foundation for the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he's going to give this command to the, to the disciples. And here we can strike a parallel between the soldiers and the disciples. Because while the soldiers uh, hear the message of the chief priests and decide to tell this lie to be spread among the Jews, the disciples are given this mission to go and tell what actually happened. But the difference is that the soldiers have as their foundation uh, the scheme of the chief priests. And the disciples have as their foundation the authority of Jesus that is an authority over all heaven and earth. And what is the mission? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And this is the very famous passage that we, most of us have heard sometime in our lives. And it's usually the passage that we use to base our great evangelisms that we've seen throughout years and decades and centuries with the whole evangelistic outreaches 
that they do, they always use uh, this verse to go and make disciples of all nations. But then the question is, what does actually mean to make disciples? And if you look at the way the text is written, he will give two uh, qualities as to what make disciples actually means. So he says first, so go make disciples. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And two, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So you have these two ideas. So the Great Commission, part of it has to do with telling people about Jesus. But it's more than that. He goes further than that. So first, baptism. Uh, Well, we have seen what baptism means, the the conviction that you are giving your life to something greater than you, to God, to Jesus, that you understand who he is and what he did for you on that cross, what the resurrection means. And uh, as a, a, a biblical scholar, whenever you, you want to study a certain term like baptism, which in the Greek is baptizo, you, you try to look at that word in all instances of the Bible to see how they are defining it and how they are using it so that you can get a proper understanding of, of that word. So I looked at the New Testament to see where baptizo appears and it's just all over the New Testament. It's over 177 times in the New Testament. Interestingly, uh, the most occurrences appear in the book of Acts, which is, it seems that the church was actually obeying what Jesus said. But then I thought, uh, but what about in the Old Testament? What if I look at that word in the Old Testament? Am I going to find it also? So the thing is, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and not Greek. But some centuries before Jesus was born, uh, the Greek culture was growing in that region among the Jews, and a lot of the Jews were speaking Greek. So they decided to gather uh, many scholars, the story goes around 70 scholars, to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. And that Greek Old Testament is what we call the Septuagint. So I look at the word baptism uh, baptizo in the Septuagint. And it appears in two times in the Old Testament, in the whole of the Old Testament, two times. One is in the prophet Isaiah when he talks about being immersed in sin or baptized in sin. And the other is in a story that I read a while ago, and it's a, it's a story that always catches my attention about a commander of the Syrian army called Naaman in 2 Kings 5. And the story goes to describe Naaman as this powerful commander of the king of Syria and of his might, of his power, of his dominion. And the story ends saying that he was a leper. 
And then Naaman, he has this slave girl from Israel. And she goes to him and she says, look, if you talk to the prophet Elisha, uh, you may be healed from your leprosy. So Naaman sends a letter to his chief officer. He says, I want to go there and talk to this prophet. So Naaman goes to the prophet and the prophet says, okay, um, what you need to do is to go in the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times in the water. And Naaman gets mad because it's ridiculous. He's like, I, I am a commander of the Syrian army where we have all of these powerful gods. And in Damascus, we have all these beautiful rivers. And you want me to go to that muddy water uh, that is the Jordan River and wash myself there. And he gets angry about it. But then some of his servants, they come to him and he says, look, did the prophet ask you to do something so difficult, so impossible? I mean, it's just go in the water and wash yourself. Then Naaman decides to go. And the text says that he went in the water and he baptized himself seven times in the water. Which, by the way, is, the meaning is not the same as baptism in the New Testament. But then, as Naaman comes out of the water, the text says that his skin was clear, just like a young boy. And then he goes to the prophet and he says... Now I understand that there is no other God besides the God of Israel. And this teaches me a lesson about baptism and about conversion in general. That when you decide to become a believer and you decide to profess your faith in who God is and who Jesus is and what he did for you... uh, you are not just adding something to the list of things that define who you are. Because that's often what people want us to think as religious people, that Wilson is this conglomerate of things, that this is my professional life and my academic life and my family life as father, as also as son, and my life is in a social setting. And now I have my religious life. And these things are not supposed to mix with one another. But what Naaman's story tells us is that our experience with God and with Jesus and who he is and why we are baptized and what baptism demonstrates is that this new reality, this what Paul calls this newness of life is not an extra element in my life now, but it's the foundation by which I see everything else in my life. So it's a very big difference. Now, um, usually on Sundays afternoon, uh, when I preach and I go home, I usually receive a message from Rich and he says, what is the title of your sermon? Because you didn't say it. 
So I sent him a message, always telling him the title. So the title of my sermon is, Now I'm Baptized. Now what? What do I do? Because that was a question that I had when I was baptized. I'm like, okay, now I'm baptized. I can participate in the communion. What else? I think things seems to remain the same. And then we go to the second part of the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, baptism is not an end in itself. It's not the end goal. It's actually the beginning. Once you get there, then you start this whole journey, which I'll tell you is going to be for the rest of your life, of learning to observe all that he has commanded. And then we go through uh, this lifelong phase of learning to observe. So the Great Commission for us who preach the gospel and baptize, our role doesn't stop there. Once they're baptized, we have to make sure that we keep on teaching them to observe the ways of the Lord. And once you are baptized, then you have to be sure that you will continue to learn in how to observe the ways of the Lord. And this reminded me of a, of a passage that Paul says when he writes his letter to the Romans, where it was, it was the passage of the Bible that, when I understood, made me decide to study theology. It was in Romans 12, too, where he says, do not conform yourselves to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may experience the perfect and good will of God. And as Christians, we always go through this journey of like, what is the will of God for me? You know, and we keep thinking about that. And this verse is telling us to to not be conformed, to not take sh the shape of the principles and values that operate in the world. We need to be different. And in order to do that, we need to be transformed. And the means by which we are transformed, according to Paul, is by the renewing of our minds. So as we learn to observe the ways of the Lord, our minds are renewed, and as a consequence of that, we are transformed to not conform to this world. So the Christian life is this ongoing process where we are growing our worldview and we are shaping our lives according to these principles. And then comes to a moment back in the passage of Naaman, which I also find interesting, is that after all of that situation had happened, Naaman talks to Elisha, and he says, but uh, may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing, that I'm going to go have, I'm going to need to go back 
to my city. And when I get there, my, my lord or my chief or my boss, he's going to go into the temple of Ramon to bow down and worship. And I'm going to have to carry him because he's going to be like resting on my shoulder. And I'm going to have to bow down there with him, but not in worship, but because I, he can't by himself. So, and the prophet says, Go in peace. And, and what that story reminds me is that we have this amazing experience, for example, in, of having the baptism on Saturday and to be able to be together with our brothers and sisters on Sunday. But then Monday is going to come and Tuesday and Wednesday. And we're not going to be all together. We're going to be in different settings which might have complicated situations. And what am I going to do? The message of the prophet was to go in peace. And the message of Jesus is to learn to observe his commands. Do not conform to that way, but be transformed. So you are in that midst of that whole thing, but you don't conform to that. And what is the guarantee that we will survive in that midst? It's the end of the, of the commission that Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So after baptism, we go to this, through this process of learning to live the Jesus way of life And we're going to be in the midst of situations where things are going to get complicated. But he says that he will be with us. And the thing about the Great Commission that I find it very interesting is that the text works as like a loop. Because you go through this process of being baptized and you are learning about the Jesus way of life. And then at the same time, you are encouraged to go back to it and says, now you go and you make disciples and you baptize and you teach them the ways of the Lord. And then they will go back and they will go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them the ways of the Lord. And through all of this process, we can always be reminded that Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen? Let's bow our heads.